After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined by Josh Norris. Josh Hello. is here to discuss the White Sox system today, one of the top systems in baseball. Josh, you've done the White Sox system now uh, two years in a row, three this years? Is, this is two, I think. This is two. Obviously, there's a tremendous amount of talent there, a lot of big-name talent. How would you say the White Sox system compares this year you know, compared to last year? Well, I think it's very similar to last year because there wasn't a whole lot of graduations, quite frankly. I think there was mm, two. I want to say Carson Fulmer and Daniel Palka were the graduations. Um, other than that, like if I wanted to do the exact same top 10 uh, from last year, I could based on prospect eligibility. Uh, but that would mean excluding Nick Madrigal and including Alec Hansen uh, and some other guys. But, uh, you know, nobody nobody graduated. I, I didn't expect a lot of them to. I could have seen Eloy doing it, but the way they handled him, um, no. That'll be, that'll be next year when he uh, graduates, I would guess, in early May, if not sooner, just based on at-bats. So I do want to get with Eloy Jimenez real quick. Uh, obviously... He's the number one prospect in this system. I would imagine there was close to zero debate. Uh, there was zero debate. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 that's fair. I don't even I know who you'd consider it otherwise. I, I agree. Just didn't want to assume. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously we heard a lot about the White Sox uh, holding him back, saying he needs to work on his defense. Now, there is some truth to that. There's always room to grow. And on the defensive side of things, there's always improvements to make, especially in his game. Uh, but it was seen pretty clearly that it was a ploy to manipulate his service time, that he could have come up and been an impact player for them right away. As far as your research in terms of discussing you know, him and where he's at with scouts, front office officials, how far does the defense really have to go uh, and where can it get to? I mean, in our 2022 lineup, we projected him at first base. So there's that, even though he's never played there before. Um, I think also that's part of, you know, we're, they have a glut of outfielders coming at the high A, double A level who are all better than him defensively. Um, if he works at it, he can get to average, but it, it's not going to be, you know, plus or above average or anything like that. He's a hitter first and foremost, and I'm sure he'll see some time at DH too. And that leads into my next question. This is a premium 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 hitter i personally am extraordinarily high on him uh, obviously vladimir guerrero jr ranks uh, ahead of him in the pro- in the top 100 i don't think there's any argument against that 
but this is just me speaking. If you were to tell me five years from now that Eloy Jimenez has actually had a better offensive career than Vladimir Guerrero Jr., I wouldn't be shocked. And that's just because of how highly I think of Eloy. Again, it's a stretch, but I could see it. I mean, I I wouldn't be shocked, but I'd be surprised. Um, I think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has a chance to be the best player in baseball uh, a few years into his career if he sticks at third base. If not, you know, DH is a little different. But we're getting on to the Blue Jays. Let's go back to the White Sox. So, so that's my next question is, just how good of a hitter are we talking? Are we talking 300 with 30 bombs? Are we talking yes. 260 with 40? Where's the well, line what, here? What surprised me was, and I ran this past White Sox and uh, outside non-White Sox scouts, um, when we have to do a little best tools, I was surprised that he got best hitter for average. I would have given that instinctively to Nick Madrigal simply because that's his calling card. His hitability uh, is, you know, is what he does best. But they all said that Eloy could be a bit better hitter for average um, in the long term based on his ability to use all fields uh, and show power to all fields. Uh, he can you know, go the other way with pitches. He can yank or you know, lash balls to the pull side. He can go up the middle. There's not really a sector of the ballpark that can hold him, but he's not just a, you know, uh, elevate and celebrate type of guy. Yeah, Eloy Jimenez has a 311 career average in the minors, a 359 crown base. Again, tr- double and triple A last year, hit 337. This is an elite hitter, not just an elite power hitter. Right. Um, and he is, he generally tends to get better as he moves up levels, which is pretty uh, incredible for someone who's as young as he is. Um, I, there's not a whole lot more to say about Eloy. He's really good, and it would be a surprise if he were anything but really good in the major leagues. And that's, and that's I, I think a, I would have him fourth on my personal top 100 behind Vladdy, Wander, and Tatis. See, and I'd have him too, just because I think the bat is that impactful. Again, you know, I'll be interested to see just what level he gets to, because if we're talking 300 with 30 home runs perennially, well, that's one of the top five hitters in baseball. If he can be almost... You know, I wonder if he could do, I mean, we're talking J.D. Martinez level offense here, guy who's contending for batting titles and home run titles. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's not um, out of the realm of possibility for him. And it's also the same kind of defensive limitations that uh, Just Dingers shows. Either way, I, I think with Eloy, you, you are, we are talking about indisputably one of the top five prospects in baseball. Moving beyond Eloy, I do want to talk about Michael Kopech, who is number two. Given his Tommy John surgery, how much consideration was there to dropping him lower behind some of these guys, if any? There was a little, but not a lot. Ultimately, we still think, I mean, Tommy John is a fairly uh, commonplace procedure now, and the the guys who don't come back are fewer than the guys who do. Um, So ultimately, we still think, assuming everything goes well, uh, his ceiling is a touch higher than Dylan Cease's or just about anybody on the White Sox you can name. Yeah, you're going to have to wait till 2020 at some point for him to come back, but you still got the makings of a, a possible top of the rotation guy. If everything, if the developments that we saw this year continue to take, then yeah, uh, you're going to have a guy who's impactful in the major leagues. And when you say developments, what specifically were the developments that we that you saw take and, and were in discussions again with evaluators and scouts they saw take? Well, famously, I did not see them take, but <laughs> but um, 
I think, I don't know if you were there for the Kopech game. I was. I came out of that start thinking higher of him than you did. Yeah, the, the, the changeup that day was not particularly good. It was non-existent. Yes, but like two starts later, another scout saw him and said it was incredible. And my first thought was, what happened in 10 days? Uh, but, you know, part of that, the White Sox said, was they gave him a curveball this year instead of a slider. And in throwing that curveball, he, it allowed him to focus on something he had to throw soft. And that helped him not think about throwing the changeup. And the changeup then came along as a result of not having to think about it, if that makes sense. Uh, they gave him a two-seamer last year, 2017, for much of the same reason, to prove to him that you don't have to throw everything through a brick wall to get hitters out. And something mechanically or internally finally clicked, and you know all of it started to come together at once. And they brought him up at the end of August, and unfortunately, his you know pro debut was scuttled by a lot of rain, and then the uh, the TJ. As a matter of fact, as I was looking through the uh, the stats, just the the raw box score line, I was like, he had a much worse time than I remember. And then I looked at the last game and he gave up like three or four bombs in that game I was like oh so it was all this game and a bunch of rain so it was a weird pro or major league debut for Michael Kopech but we still think he's um, their best arm so Eloy was the clear one Kopech was the clear two um, getting into this three four five range was Dylan Cease the clear three or was there some debate with Madrigal Robert or even Adolfo Dunning that group nope I had him three, and nobody fought me on him. Um, he took a huge amount of steps forward this year. His stuff, I think he finished like fifth in the minor leagues in strikeouts. Might have been higher than that. Um, but his stuff was just nasty from, you know, open to close. He The, the question I had about him uh, when I saw him, I think I saw him three times in Winston-Salem. I saw one game where he struck out like ten guys, gave up three runs, on three hits, all solo home runs. Um, but the question I had about him was the lack of uh, lateral movement on the fastball. And it really kind of just sat there. But it's one of those things where it's that pitch that has the high spin carry that you can't super see with the naked eye all the time. And, you know, he was getting lots of swings and misses up in the zone, and that carried through to double A, where I thought, okay. If this fastball isn't moving the way you know you'd like it laterally at the very least, um, you're going to see Double A more advanced hitters kind of tee off on him, and that was not the case. <laughs> he crushed in Double A. So then you ask around, and you say, "Yeah, he's got that that Chad Green, that uh, high spin carry type of uh, fastball that you see is I wouldn't want to say is in vogue now. I'm sure you've always wanted it, but is now." more quantifiable than it had been in past years. They coupled that with a really nasty curveball that, you know, you still want to see him be able to throw that pitch for strikes more often, for called strikes, but he can bury it and get chases with, uh, with anybody. Um, the slider is more of the called strike pitch at this point, and the changeup is, is coming along. But he's got a full four-pitch complement, and he looks every, every bit of it at least a mid-rotation starter or... If, you know, something doesn't, I think I had a question in chat, like, is, I think they asked, is Tyler Johnson the White Sox closer of the future? And I said, you know, you've got Ian Hamilton and Zach Birdie uh, in line before him, and 
let's just not even forget about the possibility that Dylan Cease winds up in the bullpen. And if he's there, he's a closer because that's, you know, I don't want to say top, uh, elite closer type stuff. And that is the, the question because I think even when he was in the Cubs system, there was a lot of question, mm-hmm. okay, start relief, start relief. With his season this year, do you think he greatly enhanced his chances of sticking at a starter, moderately enhanced them? Like what's what's the percentage uh, now? I think there's a much higher percentage chance he sticks as a starter. Um, and I'm very excited to see him in AAA next year because uh, he's moved so much quicker than you'd expect uh, for a guy who had as many questions as he did when he was a Cub. Whoever did the trade work on him, I think I know who it is, but I won't uh, you know, shout him out on this podcast, uh, <laughs> did a really good job identifying and putting their, their uh, guts on the table for him. Absolutely. Nick Madrigal was someone that came out with a, a lot of, uh, I don't know if hype's the right word, because that would insinuate it wasn't earned, and it was. He had been fantastic throughout his career at Oregon State. Hurt his wrist this year, uh, didn't exactly crush it in the College World Series, but still his, his total body of work was, was pretty exceptional. Was he the easy number four, or was, that, was this where there started being some debate? Uh, I had him at number four pretty early on, and nobody really fought me over it. Um, my question about him, and this was before Luis Robert went off in the Fall League. Yeah. Um, but um, Nick Madrigal, there are some questions about him. He's going to hit for average. He's got the ability to get the barrel to the, or the, the bat to the ball pretty much anywhere. But he hit eight home runs total in college with, with metal bats. He didn't show a whole lot of extra base power as a pro. Um, so with that in mind, um, and they, they talked about maybe adding a little uh, launch angle to his swing or uppercut or things like that to his swing to get to unlock that power a little more. But um, it's not a guy I would expect to hit for big time power. Again, though, with the caveat, Major League Baseballs are a hell of a drug, and they're going to start using them at the higher levels too in the minor leagues. So that you know might throw the power projection out of whack, as it does with a lot of players these days. Um, but again, impact is the big question you're going to have with Nick Madrigal. I mean, I, I will say, you know, and I, you're right, there is a debate there. But, you know, one of the things we see a lot is, especially at the lower levels, you know, just find guys who hit the ball hard, hit it consistently. And we've seen consistently that you can get up into the higher levels. Those balls start to fly a little more. Um, you know, he did hit 303 with a 353 on base, moved right. up to high A. And, and I think, you know, I, I think there'd be, I honestly would be more concerned if he had gone and hit 260 with five home runs than 303 with none, just because at this point, don't you want to see, hey, barrel of the ball average, and it was a long, long season? No, no, no question. No one's, no one's questioned at all his ability to put the bat on the ball. He's, he doesn't strike out. It took him until like his 20th game or something. He had seven strike, walks, five strikeouts. To strike uh, out. Um, he, he's a pure hitter in every sense of the word, but he doesn't walk doesn't strike out there are a little one evaluator I ran into had a question about is some of that contact uh, ability come by because he's very aggressive early in the count and that's uh, one way to look at it too I mean I kind of joke around here that he's you know 120 pounds lighter Williams Estudio because he hits he puts the barrel on the ball he doesn't uh, strike out he doesn't walk and he plays Well, he plays, Williams plays wherever that you want him to. But just from a pure, doesn't walk, doesn't strike out, makes a lot of contact standpoint, you're talking about a a similar idea there. 
this first full season will definitely be instructive oh, with him. No question. And Luis Robert, I assume, was the fairly easy number five. Oh yeah, that that was this was uh, the, before the, it got the, difficult. The top half was easy. He's looked fantastic in the fall league. I saw him. What was most impressive for me with him was. You see the physicality, you see the tools, they're, they're there for all to see, but he does all the little things right. You know, you talk about, you know, people, it's really weird to me, right? You have the old school guys who talk about, you know, hustle and it makes, and it does make a difference. And so the new school folks seem to discount that it does, but it doesn't. We're talking about turning ground outs into singles. We're talking about taking extra bases, things that directly lead to runs. And they're important. And Luis Robert, at least in the fall league, was showing the ability to do that. And so you have tremendous physical skill, but you also have this ability to, again, extend innings, turn outs into hits, the little things that add up over time and help your team. I thought to me, as much as physical ability, that was what was most impressive. A 20-year-old who, you know, at the end of a, a trying first season, is still, you know, doing all the little things, uh, you know, playing with that energy to, you know, help his team win. Well, I didn't see a whole heck of a lot of him in the fall league just because he got hurt uh, in the first game I saw him where he, like, tweaked a hammy or something. Which, again, is a problem. Yes. Consistent injury. Well, it, it is and it isn't. Like, the hammy is one thing, but, you know, a broken thumb is a broken thumb. They're going to, or whatever he did was t- tore his ligament in his thumb and then retore it coming back too quick. It's one of those, I, I almost chalk that up to freak nature rather than injury proneness, if that makes sense. Like, it'd be like if a guy kept getting hit in the head with a fastball. Like, you can't really chalk that up to him. Um, in any case, uh, I, I didn't wind up seeing him good most of the year, quite frankly. Every time I saw him either at Winston-Salem, I didn't see him at Kannapolis, or in the fall league, he was either getting hurt or performing poorly. Um, I saw the same with you at Winston, poor performance, but the fall league made an impression on Yeah, him. yeah, and we, we talked about, you know, being fresh at the end, well... He, he played, only played 50 games. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't like some of those guys. He wasn't like Vladdy Jr. out there on his like 200th game or whatever. Um, and in case, yeah, the tools uh, speak for themselves. Now, translating them into, a, into numbers and production is something that he's just obviously started to do. And I'm interested to see what he looks like next year, probably at Birmingham. Uh, with uh, Well, depending on how that, long, that outfield log jam works out. Is it still, it's still there. It just moved up a level. Um, but he's definitely one of the most exciting prospects in the system and could be number one by, the end, by this time next year because so I'm fairly certain he will not graduate. <laughs> We've got this top five. You mentioned it was pretty easy, pretty stable. Six through ten is where it started getting interesting. Uh, I think just what jumped out to me on the surface was seeing uh, Mika Rodolfo ahead of Dane Dunning. Um, Mika Rodolfo, uh, I, well, let's just go back a second here and say that I'm a sucker for tools more than I am uh, necessarily production. I bet high on upside a lot. Sometimes it burns you, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, Mika Rodolfo's power is up there with anybody in the system that includes Eloy Jimenez, and that includes Luis Robert. The dude is built like a god and sometimes hits like one. Um, uh, the problem then. is, problem is uh, he, it, every, you know, everything is built like a god except the ligament in his elbow. And he had Tommy John uh, at some point this year uh, he was DHing all year anyway because that thing was torn, um, but at some point it, necessi- it wasn't getting better and it necessitated the surgery. So, you know, there's you have to wait a little longer for him to come back and and prove himself again. But the power is real and it's spectacular. He was hitting balls. I don't know if I, if the listeners here are familiar with the ballpark at Winston Salem, there is a carousel 
in left center field well beyond the wall. And I think just in the interest of public safety, they should have put up Surgeon General's warnings around that during BP, just advising kids not to be on the carousel <laughs> while this man is hitting because he will pepper your horse. <laughs> um, in any case, uh, that it, the tools are are kind of insane offensively. And his arm, when it's healthy, uh, one scout described it to me last year as a 90 on the 20. It, 2080 scouting scale. It's a, it's the best throwing arm in the system. Uh, I kept it as such best tools wise um, because we assume if it comes back, let's say it comes back a little degraded, it's a 70. You know, <laughs> you're, gonna, you're 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 talking about a uh, a rifle versus a rail gun, and I'm sure JJ Cooper will correct me on my artillery references, <laughs> but I'm that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Uh, but Dunning, it's. He also had his own elbow uh, issues. No surgery was required, but he missed about two months with an elbow sprain. But it's, um, I won't say it's vanilla, but it's spicy vanilla, the, uh, the, the package that he offers. He's uh, a sinker slider guy that he needs. They've, they've worked with him a lot to uh, get the consistent sink on the fastball he needs to be effective. He's got all four, but it's a, it's a guy who's going to rely on getting ground balls um, to be to, to, to reach his ceiling, which is maybe a three, but more likely a back-end type of starter, but a fair, fairly safe bet to be that starter. We all know the White Sox need starters. Rounding out the top ten was three outfielders. Why these three and why the order they were in? Remind me of what order they're in. Rutherford, Gonzalez, Steel Walker. Okay. Uh, Rutherford, also I would call Spicy Vanilla. He's another guy who... Um, He's got a lot of tools. There's not a lot of below average. There's not a lot of uh, 60s or 70s. He's a guy who's a pretty safe bet to have a major league future. He needs. He still needs to add a little more strength to unlock the power potential. But you know, he had. I was stunned to find out he had the most RBIs in this system. He had a pretty solid overall year at Winston Salem. He could play all three outfield spots. He's more likely a left fielder, I believe, uh, in the long run. But he's you know, uh, a fairly safe profile prospect who's not going to, you know, you're not going to see him in the top 15 or 20 of your of a top 100, but you're also not going to see him usually completely off the list. You know, he's an interesting player who was pretty highly touted out of uh, out of high school. I saw him a bit at Chaminade, and you, know, you mentioned the, the strength needing to come. There's, you know, there's doubles there. There's nine triples there. So you see the extra base power. Um, the home run numbers, obviously, he has yet to hit double digits now. He's going to be 22 next season. Given the corner profile, do you think he'll hit enough to be there every day, or is it more kind of a, an extra left-handed outfield type? I, I think there's a chance that he hits enough to enough, with enough power to be an everyday guy. And I will go back to that crutch. The baseballs at the major league level are going to allow for more power, and there's no reason MLB is going to change them. And by the way, especially at Guaranteed Rate Field, yes. where balls fly out. Guaranteed homer field, yes. So were these eight securely in the 10? Like at what breaking, what was the breaking point of, okay, I know X nine number. And ten. Nine and 10. Nine and so these eight were in the top 10. Yes, those were not moving. How many guys were in the conversation for the final two spots that ultimately went to Luis Gonzalez and Steel Walker? Maybe four. Okay. Um, what separated these two? Uh, there were some guys, uh, you know, I'm... I'm probably the low guy on Zach Collins. Um, there's, it's, it's not easy getting someone to talk about him uh, with any level of certainty 
outside uh, of in-house. There are questions about his receiving. There are questions about his hitability long-term. He's got the best eye probably in the minor leagues. Um, I, I, the line I like to use is if he doesn't make it as a baseball player, he could definitely be an umpire. That's how well he knows the strike zone. <laughs> he could be, All right. you, you could nickname him Quest Tech. <laughs> and, and that's kind of a, an indicator of the, the level of strike zone awareness that Zach Collins has. Um, and he's got power too. It's mostly pull at this point, if I remember correctly. I but, have seen him drive balls to the opposite field. It's more does, doubles than home happen, runs. But he did have a couple bombs the opposite way, I think. Maybe one that snuck inside the left field pole. Um, and, you know, internally they say that when he gets in trouble is when he tries to go too pole happy. Uh, they say that his swing path, when it's correct, gears him toward the opposite field. And if they, they would like to see him use that a little more. Um, with, with him, though, he had, it was a weird year. His first year, or first month, was awful. His second month was Babe Ruth on steroids. His next three months after that were somewhere in the middle. Like, he, he went from bust to god to, you know, just a guy who hit for a, a low average and high power uh, with some defensive questions for the next part of the season. Uh, who else are we talking about? Luis Basabe. Um, there are a lot of tools there. Uh, he, and We saw some of them in the Futures game. We saw some of them in the Futures game. We saw him redirect 102 from Hunter Green for a home run. Uh, We'll talk about the baseballs again there. <laughs> um, eight home runs in the Futures game and, I don't know, 100 in the high school home run derby. And uh, another uh, dozen or so in the actual All-Star game that right. covered. Right, 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 right. Um, those are something. But um, he's got tools, and uh, there's still just a question about where he's going to wind up, if, if he's going to hit enough for um, an everyday spot. But the tools are there for him to take a jump next year as well. Uh, Luis Gonzalez was more than solid in his first full year as a pro. Um, I think he's one of those guys that's a sleeper type. Who's, it's hard to call up a sleeper at number nine overall or whatever, uh, in the system. But he's one of those guys who sneaks up on you with how good he is. You know, they were talking about him last year. They, they wanted to start him at Winston-Salem this year. But it was a log jam, and they, they couldn't necessarily. Steel Walker is a guy who comes with a really good pedigree in college and with, on the Woodback Summer College Leagues. He dealt with a nagging injury. Uh, I want to say it was his oblique. I uh, could be wrong, though. Uh, at the end of his career with Oklahoma and into his first season with the White Sox, he's, the numbers aren't great. He hit like 180 as a pro. He's a supremely confident young man, and... Uh, you know, he gets a lot of supporters in here for the way he should be able to hit going forth. So we took, I, I'm betting a lot on the, off the amateur pedigree as well there. Um, but it's, it's, you know, 9, 10 were Gonzalez and Walker and then Basabe and Collins. Are like so 11, it seems like the, the, the certainty over the ability to hit is really what separated these two. Yeah. Overall, moving forward, you know, you mentioned this logjam. The good news is, you know, you look at where the White Sox are as a team right now, there's going to be a lot of opportunity to win spots. I mean, you look at the current construction of the Chicago White Sox and the number, just on the position player side, the number of guys who realistically project to be a part of the next competitive White Sox team, 
maybe two. I mean, Tim Anderson, Moncada's got to get it together because right now the level he's performing is not that of a first division championship caliber regular. It's of a second division regular, and it needs to get better if he really wants to be a part of that next competitive White Sox team. Yeah, led the majors in strikeouts. I mean, again, I, you know, Daniel Polka did some nice things as a rookie, but he also got on base at a 294 clip. I think there will be the, the opportunity. Now, the next question is, we know we'll probably see Eloy come up this year. Kopech obviously made his debut last year. He'll be down until 2020. How quickly do you expect this wave to start hitting Chicago beyond Eloy? That's a tough one because the only one who's really in AAA was Eloy. Um, I think Cease starts at AAA next year, so he could move fairly quickly, depending on how well that goes. Um, but you said, you know, I, I don't expect them to be super competitive this year, or 2019. So I wouldn't rush him. I'd wait till you know you're you're certain that the skills and tools you need to see develop have developed before you bring them up. Um, so it will it'll move as quickly as the players allowed them and the front office decided they want to move them, if, that's, uh, if that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Like we mentioned, you know, Anderson at short, Moncada at second are obviously guys you, you want to both see more from. Again, Anderson does some good things. He also hit 240 with a 281 on base. Uh, Jose Abreu is solid as always. He's 31, so he might, you know, we'll see if he ages out or not. Uh, the pitching side as well. I mean, you see, you know, Ronaldo Lopez has pretty much set him up for himself up for a spark spot. Carlos Rodon, you imagine, will be there, although he's, he's struggled to stay healthy a little bit. But you've got minimum three rotation spots to fill. You could argue that all nine of their lineup spots use an upgrade. I think at worst, you know, it's at least seven spots that need replacing long term. So there's going to be opportunities for all these prospects. And you can also use these prospects to trade. And that's the second part of this. Knowing there's so many spots to fill, if you're, you know, Looking, looking top down from the, white, the vantage point of the White Sox, you know this system as well as anybody. What is their most, I don't want to say their best path to contention, but in your eye, their most efficient path back to contention? It's going to be tough. I mean, the, it, it might take a boost depending on what the, white, uh, the Indians decide to do this year with regards to Kluber and Carrasco and whoever else they may trade. But uh, I guess the Tigers are also... Uh, trying to rebuild. They're doing theirs in, in the farm system with pitching and right-handed pitching at that. Um, the Royals are uh, behind right now. Uh, who am I missing here? Twins. Twins. Twins have huh, good, some good guys coming up uh, in Kirilov and Lewis and uh, maybe a little later, Brizdar, Gratterall. Um, I, I think it's, it'll be interesting to see. It, it depends on how you know, the front office decides it wants to, to proceed. If it wants to use some of these prospects at their high point and trade them to get whoever, they want to make splash on the free agent market, they could go out and get one of these big boys who are waiting to, to find a, an employer. There's a lot of ways to do it, and I'm anxious to see how Rick Hahn and uh, Chris Getz and Nick Hostetler proceed. It will definitely be interesting to see what awaits the White Sox. They have another top 10 pick coming up in the 2019 draft, and we'll see all the different, uh, all the different possible directions, which one they, which one they pick. Mm-hmm. Well, everyone, that'll do it for another Baseball America Prospect podcast. We appreciate you listening as always. Go ahead and check out all the top 10s on BaseballAmerica.com right now. For Josh Norris, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, folks. See you.
After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.